Hey, Dad. <laughs> Dads, you are listening to Abba Father Podcast, where we discuss how the Bible and theology informs and equips us as parents. We believe that the more we learn about our Heavenly Father and apply the, His teachings, the better it makes us as dads. Each episode, we dive into real-life parenting, and then we zoom out and look at God, His Word, and His actions. And then we zoom back in and find an application that we can use today to make us better fathers. I'm Matt. I'm Brando. And I'm Cameron. And today, we're going to talk about sin. So, here's the story. I was driving Quest to preschool, and we were on this topic about this lost dog, which was kind of interesting. You know, the hearts of little girls are so magical <laughs> to say the least we uh we drove up to the sign and it, had, it was a missing dog poster and she was like we can't go to school today we got to find this lost dog <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's so cute but it, you know i take her to school she tells all the teachers about it and they're all you know doing the teacher concern look oh wow yeah that's very important and then another day passes and we go by and the sign's gone and i said oh i bet they found the dog and she goes no some bad people took it away Oh, goodness. Okay. She said, those people are bad, right? I said, well, you know, maybe they found the dog. She said, but, but those are, those are bad. Those would be bad people. And then I said, you know, Quest, really we're, we're all bad people. And daddy's a bad, bad people. You know, it just, it, Jesus makes us good again. And she goes, daddy, you're bad. I said, yeah, I've, I've been in timeout and been hurt sometimes or have been, you know, disciplined sometimes. And it was because I did some bad stuff. And, um, but Jesus forgives me and he's, he's because of him. Now I am good. And that's the same to you. I said, you're bad too. And remember when you got put in timeout and you have gotten in trouble and she was like, yeah. And I said, so you're, you're bad, but Jesus makes you good too. And then she was like, I'm bad. You know, you could just tell her heart was like crushed. Cause I wasn't saying, you know, Oh yeah, you're all good. But you know, I, so I, after she, she kind of got it, she, she then, it seems like over the, you know, kind of course of the conversation and also what I've seen m- weeks and months later is she really loves Jesus even more and wants to see him and wants to hang out with him. And is just more thankful for him. And that might be a reason, but it's, it, it made me think deeper. That was a spur of the moment kind of thing that I kind of threw out there was this like original sin. We're all bad, but I could have so easily said, yeah, those are bad people. We're good. You know, we don't, we don't do stuff like that. And, um, but then I think, you know, really at that moment for what would be best for a little girl's heart, you know, <laughs> does she need to know, original sin and total depravity of our like hearts and wickedness at an early age like that? Is she, you know, mature enough to understand that? Or have I now placed this shameful guilt on top of her that she didn't deserve because I thought that she needs to learn this theological concept at an early age, you know? That's a hard uh, line to draw. (laughs) But I think, um, I've had the same, a similar discussion with my kids. Um, Ella is the same age as Quest, and uh, 
we've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, Asher, I have Asher, he's a little older. And so Ella hears conversations with Asher about our sin. And, um, and I had a, a conversation with her recently where she was breaking rules in the house and doing things she wasn't supposed to do. And, uh, she said, um, we said, I said something to the effect of, you know, Ella, that's sin and we shouldn't do that. And she said, yeah, but we all sin. We're all sinners. And she was almost kind of taking this um, original <laughs> sin as a kind of a way out. Like the, the Roman well, seven card. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you're a sinner too. Like, you know, why, why are you mad at me? And, uh, you know, I think that's another issue we deal with is, you know, um, I've seen that coming out in Ella of, well, we're all sinners, so it's not a big deal, right? Hmm. Like we're, we're just sinners. Um, wow. Which is the opposite kind of issue. Um, and I see in Asher, he kind of, I, I, I'm starting to see, Marianne and I were talking about this the other day. We're starting to see kind of the older brother. He is an older brother, and we're kind of seeing the older brother syndrome coming out like from the story of the prodigal son like he's got this because he's a very good boy he's very obedient uh we very rarely have to get him in trouble for anything um and it seems like he kind of checks out when he hears the gospel a little bit um because he's a good boy you know and uh so we, we we are trying as we're dealing with that to think about, okay, so how do I not put extra guilt and shame on him that he doesn't need, but also help him see his need for Jesus in the midst of that? And uh, that's a difficult question to, to struggle with. A lot of that I'm, I'm asking Marianne because uh, we have realized in our marriage that She's more the older brother, and I'm more the younger brother. Um, I'm the rebellious sinner who, you know, walked, wandered, and was and wayward, and and have come back. And I really appreciate grace. And she's been, she's she's struggled in the past with grace and said, you know, I don't even see what the point of Jesus dying is. Uh, but uh, she realizes now how her self righteousness is sin, and her. Um, lack of, of faith in God is sin, and her like, she sees the sin in different ways than I do, and so we, she can she can help Asher in ways that maybe I can't, because mm. she can relate in that way. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking about the the tension there between oh, just praising your children and you know reassuring them about how good they are and how proud of you, proud of them that you are and how much you love them and yet at the same time knowing that they desperately need a savior and it hasn't been um oh until these last few years of of being a father that i just realized just how broken i am and uh, growing up in a christian home uh maybe similar to what marianne's you know faced in her uh, adult life like you just mentioned brando of um, just really coming to grips with my um, despair without Christ and knowing that I'm not just okay, I'm not just doing okay, and I'm not just a good person, but that I'm 
so uh, exceedingly wicked apart from him. And so it's really affected how I teach. It's affected how I preach. Um, and just having a better understanding of the gospel daily and how and how much I need it. And so that's helped me um, with conversations with Lucas, who's uh, just about four years old. Yeah. Uh, with that and trying to kind of weigh the waters of that tension between uh, he's, he's perfect to me. He's I'm so proud of him. He's such a wonderful young, young boy, but uh, my prayer every night over him is that he would uh, grow to love the Lord um, every day. Okay. So obviously we have, we have some varying um, stories about how we've dealt with our kids, um, how they've responded to our teaching, and really kind of how they understand the doctrine of, of man's sinfulness. And um, I guess that leaves the question of how does our God, how does our Father teach us about our sin? Um, does he Does he just point blank tell us, hey, you're bad and here's Jesus and he makes you good again. And um, when we respond with, Oh, well, everybody's bad. So it's okay to do whatever I want. Um, how does he respond to that? And so, you know, one verse that I was looking at um, was Isaiah, Isaiah 59. And I particularly um, found this one um, very interesting because I think it kind of answers a couple of those questions and also leads us down um, some kind of introduction of how it is that our Father speaks to us about our sin. Okay, so Isaiah 59, uh, I think, really lays it out. And I'm going to read from the ESV version of Isaiah 59, starting in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So it continues on for many verses about the sinfulness, but I wanted to stop on that verse one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. I thought this was a... a, a really interesting way to frame this whole conversation is in no way is our sinfulness impacting God's redemption. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear, but our iniquities have separated us from him. And so our, our acts, our, our, our iniquities, our sin have is causing us to be separated from God and it's not impacting his ability to save or his hearing his, his, you know, listening to us at all. It's all on us. And so then it continues. Your hands are defiled with blood fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suits justly. No one goes in the law. Honestly, you reply on empty pleas, you speak lies, conceive mischief, give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. 
and it just continues. Feet run to evil, swift to shed in your swift to shed innocent blood. Thoughts are on thoughts of iniquity, desolation, destruction. The way of peace, they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. Um, you know, we growl like bears, we moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but is far from us. For our transgressions have multiplied before God, and our sins testify against us. I mean, that's pretty clear. It's uh, I don't think that God is holding back on who we are. Very, very, very clear. But then it's it's when it starts turning. Um, this is where I think it really answers on how we should then speak to our kids. It says in verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprighteous cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered why there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing steam, which the wind of the Lord drives and quote, a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And so I think the the pretty clear message there is we have separated ourselves from God in every single facet of our life, the way that we speak, our thoughts, our actions, even when we do things that we think are justice, they are not. They have a, a thread of wickedness in it, but God brings in redemption. His, he brings in the arm of righteousness and those that turn away from those transgressions can find redemption in him through Christ. And I think the message to our children should be likewise, that there, there is no, no amount of good, total goodness in us in our actions. There's some. There's a sin there. There is wickedness there, and there is also redemption to turn away from your transgressions and to repent and to, you know, seek that to, to seek that forgiveness from Christ can um, redeem that. Because the Lord's arm is not too short to save. His ears are not deaf that they, that they cannot hear. But to me, when I, you know, I, I hear that, that is, that's really hard to tell a kid, you're bad, you're evil, you know. But when we look at, you know, the way that the Lord speaks to us, it's the, it's not hidden in any way, you know. It's not delivered in a nice package. It's, it's pretty straightforward. You, you, you know, you don't, you don't think of anything without it being bad. You don't speak without it being, you know, shrouded in lies. And, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't think of my own daughter that way. You know, that's, I feel like she's pretty sincere and innocent and, and has a lot of love in her. And 
I want to thank all those good things and tell her those good things. You know, you're a lucky man. <laughs> have a sweet, <laughs> innocent daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I comment to my wife regularly that, uh, having children has really, um, let us see just how true uh, original sin is. Um, no one had to teach my children how to lie to us or how to rebel against us or how to get their um, wills all bunched up and out of sorts because they're not getting their way or they don't get to do what they want to do. Um, how, how young How young were your your kids when they lied the first time do you do you remember the first lie uh i think ella was well i won't use names <laughs> <laughs> they might listen i don't know <laughs> uh i think i remember one of them lying as young as three or four mm-hmm. um I'll say, I'll say my oldest, uh, he's only lied to us maybe one time that I can remember. Um, and I've, I've asked him several times and I, ever since that one lie, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing to deal with. You want to, we want to deal with our children the way our father deals with us. Um, you know, when, when my children lie, it's hard to trust whatever they might say after that. Um, I'll admit, um, I trust what my oldest says to me more than what, than my, uh, middle child says. Um, yeah, because one has a record for lying and one, one doesn't, (laughs) um, and you know, I, I really love that passage in Isaiah that you just read um, where where the Lord, it he saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there were no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. Our God... He sees our sin and he doesn't pull any punches when he talks about our sin, but he brings about the intercession. He brings about the salvation. It says his own arm brings about the salvation. Um, Just this morning, um, I was wrestling with that thought in my head um, because I've heard the analogy and I think it's true. Uh, it's, it's maybe simplistic or cliche, but uh, maybe it's only cliche to those who've heard it a bunch. But uh, the analogy is you know, religion says, um, I've really messed up. My dad's going to kill me. But Christianity says, I've really messed up. I need to call my dad. <laughs> and, um, you know, Religious systems that are all about our righteousness and our doing good works to cover up our sin sees our sin like a vast dumpster pile of of 
garbage that we've got to clean up to get to the other side to see God. Whereas Christianity has the same dumpster pile that's keeping us from God, but God comes over to us to clean it up so that we can get back to him and get back to the other side. That's what Christ did. And uh, I experienced a little sample of that this morning with my, my daughter. Was uh, She loves to dress up, and uh, she loves to make a big, giant mess when she dresses up. And uh, she's been told several times, she's only four, but, you know, um, she's told been told many, many times, when you dress up, you got to put the things back where you got them. And uh, I went in her room this morning, and every single piece of clothing that was in her closet was on the floor. Uh, and uh i asked her i said sissy why is every single piece of clothing on your floor and um of course just like mankind she her first response was well asher helped me do it right uh adam in the garden whoa that woman you gave to me um she tried to shift the blame um i asked asher and he said yeah, I helped her pull her clothes down so that she could wear them, and then she threw them on the floor. And uh, and I had this realization because she was looking at me. She wanted to clean it up because I told her, you need to clean this up. And she was like, I need help because it was this huge mess. And I had this choice. I'm like, and in my flesh, I was like, I don't want to help you. I'm annoyed that you have made this giant mess. I want you to clean this up all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of that, that principle of, you know, no, the good father Mm. gets in there and helps deal with the sin. You know, the good father meets our children where they are to help them deal with the problem that they've created. It's their fault. It's not my fault that she made the mess. Um, we need to help them deal with it. And I don't always do that perfectly. Uh, you know, but it was, uh, it's those moments where we realize, you know what, we can be like our father and help our children, or we can be not like our father. And, right. Yeah. And walk we should, away and say, figure it out. Right. We should be not only pointing them to Christ in, our total in the kind of cosmic view of, of sin and their redemption, but then emulate that in the real sense of when they make a mistake, they're forgiven, but it's not, but it's, but God's forgiveness was not without action. It wasn't a declaration. It was an action. It was a sacrifice. And I'll Man, just say, Brando, that's powerful, you know. I'll just say I truly emulated our Lord because I sent my son to help her clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Did he? Did he submit though? He did actually. He, yeah, perfect submission. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but that you know that's okay. I I really I appreciate that. That is, um, that's a really good, I think, application. One big application from this is, I think the world, the culture tells us that as dads and as parents, 
you know, when you see a situation like what you just said, the the world's answer is teach them their problem by allowing them to deal with the problem. And almost like um either it's almost like a shame guilt like a little bit of shame or a little bit of guilt or a um isolation that because of the uncomfortableness or the um the problem that it creates for that person that you know maybe they'll maybe they'll make the right choice again you know but actually reaching down and saying i'm going to help you i don't know i think that's a really good point well so one side says get out of my way i'll just i'll just fix this it goes quicker if i do it then they don't understand the problem the other side is what you just described you know just uh you take care of it and there's no reaching down in there like first peter 2 he bore himself our sins and it's his wounds that have healed us. And so that that's just echoing what the Isaiah passage says is if there's a problem, that's on us. And if there's a solution, that's all God. Mm-hmm. And so conveying that to our kids that there are problems in mommy and daddy's lives and the problems are on us. And we go to, to our father because he's the one that has the solution. He's the one that makes us, us well again. Yeah. Okay, so application for dads in the real world. So after we have talked about it, we shared our stories, read some scripture. It sounds like, you know, the the way that we should talk to our kids about sin is not holding back and telling them the way that it is, but also pairing it with God's redemption. And explaining to them, yeah, that mommy and daddy sin, and the only good in them is Jesus. But Brando, I think you made a fantastic point about it's not just that action and pointing them to Christ, but also emulating the way that our Father his actions show the redemption and reaches down in the middle of it and says, I know you've messed up. Let me help you fix what you've messed up. You are responsible for it, but I am going to help you. And maybe someday out of love, like we out of our love and worship to God, we live righteously and do good works. His salvation and his forgiveness enables us to do those things. We then should disciple our children in a way that out of their love for us and for Christ, that they then live righteously and do those good things. Not out of obligation, not out of shame, not out of guilt but out of love and sacrifice and the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And I think uh, another part of emulating to them, we not only emulate to them what our heavenly father is like, um, but we need to also be showing them because we're not as perfect as our heavenly father. 
we need to be emulating to them showing we need to be showing them what a repentant sinner looks like um and you know a lot of times um you know when i've lost my temper with my kiddos or i've you know done it's usually lost my temper uh that's my besetting sin but uh i have to go to my child and i have to say look i'm sorry daddy sinned against you and i'm really sorry and uh and humble myself and show them look i'm just as much a sinner as you are and we all need to go to god and ask for forgiveness and you know, show them, look, the only good in me, I think that just reinforces what you've been saying is the only good in me is Jesus. Naturally, I'm just a mess, just like you are. We're all just messes, and it's God that makes us better, and we need to pray um, for God's help. And uh, I'm partly terrified and partly thankful that... Uh, um, my oldest boy, he's, he's a good, he's a good kid, but he has the same besetting sin that I have. He, he has some anger issues and, uh, it's made for a lot of really touching moments where I've been able to sit down with him and say, look, daddy knows what you're going through right now. I know it's really hard when you wow. just want to rage out and turn into the Hulk and beat your little sister up. But you yeah, know, you've got to turn to the Lord in those moments. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, I know, you know, because I know you get mad at me. And, you know, we have this deep connection there because I'm able to be, we're able to be vulnerable with each other in our sin and seek God's help together. Those can be really powerful moments. All right, so let's move on to Can't Let It Go. This is a segment in our podcast where we talk about something we just can't get out of our minds. It could be a, a post we saw on Twitter or a thing we um, have been thinking about or something that God's laid on our hearts, but it's just something we just can't. We just can't shake it this week. So, Brando, what do you got? What is your Can't Let It Go this week? So, um, I've got a somewhat serious one and a somewhat silly one. Okay. So there's two, they both relate to Twitter though. Okay. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter myself, but, uh, earlier in the week, Cameron sent us a, uh, a Twitter video of this dude and his very strange numerology that he was throwing around, uh, <laughs> And it has stuck with me, <laughs> and I've been laughing about it. Uh, I know how to count. I now know how to count to six, so I'm I'm happy yeah, for that. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> but on a serious note, the thing that I can't let go is uh, another friend of mine here in Indiana shared a Twitter video that was uh, from the Logos Bible uh, software company. They were talking about how... Um, Bible engagement through the week impacts our life and the likelihood of, you know, we're talking about sin and like they were talking about different kinds of besetting sins or different kinds of behaviors that might be not good. But uh, they said, it's like, you know, if you, you engage with the Bible one time a week, 
there's a negligible impact on your life. You know, if you go to church and you listen to the preacher preaches sermon and that's all you do, there's a negligible impact on what your life looks like, according to some surveys and studies they've done. And uh, two, two times a week, slight increase. Three times a week, slight increase. But at four times a week, there's this massive spike of uh, of like a 67% increase in um, in life-changing kind of behaviors and things that, so the basic takeaway was just get in the word. Like if the more we're in the word and engage with God's word, um, the more our life will change and the more consistent we are with it, the more it'll change. And it's a radical increase as we do it more. So I've just been thinking about that all week. So for me, I'm, I'm very passionate about, uh, new heaven, new earth, uh, the redeeming of all things that our Savior is going to bring when he returns. So any kind of art, any kind of um, music that just echoes those things, I just gravitate towards and I really appreciate because um, it's easy to talk about dying and going to heaven. And in my um, view, which I believe is biblical, boy, that, that misses 90% of what we have to look forward to. N.T. Wright really gets some things right when it comes to what we have to look forward to. And so one of my favorite artists is John Mark McMillan, and he just released a single. We're not going to sing it, but, uh, man, it's called Pilgrim. Check it out. He just released it on, uh, I think, all streaming platforms, but it's called not Pilgrim. What's that? Not a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Yet. Yet. Uh, but man, it, the song just starts out by talking about how there is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. And it's about this longing for the, the heavenly city that's to come. But then currently, I'm a pilgrim on this side of the great divide. And just the song itself, uh, it's incredibly well written and it's just beautiful. Um, so I just can't, can't let that go. It's such mm. a great song. I encourage you guys to check it out. All right. I got two. Um, so first I, I finished the episode series from the Bible project podcasts, um, on Sabbath and that has been such an amazing journey. And I have loved every second of it. And I am actually working through listening through that series again. Um, and I will include that in the show notes as well, a link to that, that series. So it culminated in a final video and um, which is fantastic. I'll put the link in the show notes for that as well. But the thing that the, the final episode of it, um, it really, really impacted me. And I, I have, I've, I can't stop thinking about it. And, um, it's been, it's been on my mind and, um, man, the, the, you got to listen to it. If, if you haven't been listening to a Bible project or you, you haven't heard of those guys, um, check them out. I love how they impact the Bible and, and the way that they're looking at, at scripture. It's just, it's so, um, it's so refreshing. Um, yeah, Cam. I'm grateful that you guys have brought up the Bible project because 
today at work, uh, which as a pastor, I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> I was on YouTube and I saw the two uh, Revelation Bible Project videos. Yeah. And and you know how it is, end times, everything's a buzzword, everything's just uh, something to get riled up about. But the way that they present the two halves of Revelation, it's so great because they're interpreting every passage with Scripture, which is how we're supposed to read all of God's <laughs> yeah. spoken word, all of His revealed word. Yes. And there's Amen. only a couple times in the whole 20 minutes or so of the two videos combined where they actually say, hey, you know, here's a couple ways to look at this, but here's the main point in that. And it was just so refreshing to see, you know, if, when we're really reading it in light of Scripture itself, yeah, there aren't there aren't two or three ways to look at almost any of it. There's only a couple spots where, yeah, you know what, you could go either way on this. And yeah. that was refreshing because, oh boy, you know yeah. how all that can get. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, for anybody that's listening, if you haven't heard of those guys, I, I highly, highly suggest you check them out. Um, and if you if you don't have the time for all of the podcasts, at least check out the videos. They are usually right around five minute mark and um, have lots of information packed in there. The second thing that I can't let go is um, just recently in a conversation that we were having, um, it brought up some memories I had of C.S. Lewis quotes. And it brought me back to what he talks about in the weight of glory about how our um, our expectations, the our um, desires are not um, they're not too strong; they're actually too weak, and that we um, we prefer to be out um, eating mud pies when inside there's you know an apple pie or something available for us, and um, that just that idea that our desires are too weak. We're too easily satisfied with what we can get our hands on that. We are just little children playing with mud and we think everything's okay, but there's so much more available to us if we would just desire more and have that be focused on, on God. And um, I was just thankful for that conversation because it reminded me of CS Lewis yet again and all those good things. All right, guys, thank you for listening to Abba Father Podcast. You can connect with like-minded community at facebook.com slash Abba Father Podcast. Also, please take 30 seconds to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you find yourself applying or sharing anything we discussed today, please support us. We are busy dads with tight budgets just like you, and your support will help us keep making quality content. If you become a subscriber, you can also have your own stories and wisdom discussed on our podcast, potentially become a guest, And you can help vote on future content and see bonus content not available anywhere else. Support us at patreon.com slash abbafather or click the link in the show notes. Also remember dads, Romans 8.15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father. See you guys later.